Hey, good morning, folks. How are you doing? You feel good? Warm? I told, I told somebody, I turned it up one more degree in here. You're welcome. For you people who get cold. This is the kind of day that I, I'm like, man, I, I think of uh, some, some warmer places to be. I, I look, I don't mind the cold weather so much. I, I have a little insulation. Um, but this is just stupid cold. This is too cold to be allowed. Okay, we could be in Denver, couldn't we, Hutch? Yeah, we could be in Minnesota, but I'm just saying, it's not supposed to be this cold. It makes me want to be somewhere warm, warmer than here right now, although I, I do love it here. We live in a pretty good place. You know, it gets hot, but not too hot. It gets cold, but not too cold, not counting this week. Um, you know, not a lot of natural disasters, not a lot of crime. It's a good place, but I do think of someplace warm today. And it kind of puts me in mind of several years ago when my family and I rented a little place at uh, Curie Beach, okay? Some of you went there's supposed to be a real nice place. Well, we were there for like an hour. Let me explain what that's about. So we rented this little place um, off of a website, and let me tell you, whoever took the pictures of this place was so good at photography. It made it look spacious. It made it look modern. It made it look nice. And when we got there, we found that it was tiny and crusty and a little bit moldy. So we're like, oh, man, this is that photographer deserves a raise, whoever they are. But we're like, man, we've saved. OK, we're we're saved. We've he we're here. We'll make the most of it. And like, OK, hey, we're we're at the beach. It's going to be nice. Um, the only, we did have to call about one problem though. We didn't call them about the crustiness and the mustiness, but there was only one parking space that was for this rental unit and somebody was in it and we had to park on the street where it was no parking and getting towed while you're on vacation seems like it'll be a bad time. So we called the place that we rented from to tell them, say, Hey, there's somebody parking in the spot that we're supposed to be in. What can we do about that? That's when we heard some interesting news. The lady on the other end of the line said, Oh, um, it turns out we've double booked that unit. And there's a wedding party coming in tonight. And we need you folks to leave. Like, what? We're here first. There's no way we're leaving. But they were not willing to budge at all. They would not help us find another place. Uh, they would not give us immediate full refund. It was quite something. So needless to say, we haven't rented anything off of that website again and probably won't. Um, here's what haunts me, though. What if we didn't call about the parking? And we'd never found out about the double booking. And sometime in the night, someone would have been coming in People who are part of a wedding party at the beach whose sobriety would be in question. And they would be coming in unannounced. That we, They didn't know we were there. We didn't expect them. And I probably would have had to throw hands. Okay? Look, y'all know me as the kind, gentle pastor and all. But I could throw some hands if I have to. Okay? 
I'm so glad that didn't happen because I probably wouldn't be hanging out with you cool people. I might be uh, preaching the gospel at um, Hanover Correctional Facility there nearby. And uh, man, that just, what a disturbing thought, right? That somebody would have walked right in. It was tough. It was, the rest of that trip was kind of tough. If it took 12 hours to find lodging, it was peak season. We had a dog with us. It took 12 hours and and finally got their full refund. They weren't even going to do that for us. Let me tell you, though, the most disturbing part is that we could have been invaded. And something like that should never happen, that somebody comes in feeling like they have a claim to the place, except it happens all the time spiritually. When you trust in Jesus, you are made a new person. You are not who you used to be. You may not always feel it, but the truth is you are not what you were before. You're something new. But the thing is about this new life in Jesus is the old person you used to be kind of creeps in sometimes or tries to. They, the, the, new, the old person invades the new life and, and you find yourself being that old person that you don't want to be anymore, that you really aren't that person, but it comes out. You, you don't want to be angry you don't want to be bitter you don't want to be anxious you don't want temptation to get the best of you but the old man invades the new life and the old man takes over for a little while and you find yourself behaving in ways you you thought you'd put behind you see the big idea for this series is uh, that the old man has no place in the new life we're in ephesians 4 19 just one verse but i promise it'll be enough this is part of a warning from the Apostle Paul. It's a part of a bigger, bigger uh, teaching here that he's talking to these uh, people in the city of Ephesus, these believers in the city of Ephesus, and, and basically saying, hey, now that you know Jesus, you can't, you can't live like the people who don't know Jesus. He says the other Gentiles. See, these were Gentile people, but they were saved. They were saved out of this pagan lifestyle, and now they're living for Jesus and Paul is saying, hey, now that you know Jesus, you can't go back and live like you used to live. And that's part of what this warning is here. So that's true of you too. If you've trusted in Jesus as Savior, you are not who you used to be. So you can't let that old person creep back in. It takes a lot of vigilance. We live in that tension though, right? Between this new life and the old, old life. And, you know, I've been saved a long time. I was pretty young when I got saved. And that tension is still there. That uh, he describes in other places, you know, this who I, I, I am not who I want to be. Um, I'm pulled constantly between like the light and the darkness. And we live in that, in that reality. So we're going to see this idea. Um, you're not who you used to be. That's what I want to tell you today. If you got Jesus, you're not who you used to be. You might act like it sometimes. You might feel like it sometimes, but you are not. Let's read Ephesians 4.19, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it. <coughs> Ephesians 4.19. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open this to us, Lord. We cannot really understand your word apart from your Holy Spirit giving us illumination. We want to study this not just as a student but as people who are seeking the deep truths of it so i pray you'll make that possible now 
In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, this is part of an extended teaching. He's saying, don't be like the other Gentiles. Which is to say, don't be like you used to be before you knew Jesus. And he gives kind of a list here, and he gets down to this point, and he says, don't, don't be like this. Don't be the ones who are past feeling and lewd and unclean and greedy. So let's get to that first one. Past feeling. And unable to feel. Um, we do not like to experience pain. Pain is a deterrent for us. But pain is powerful. Pain is our signal to stop doing what we're doing before we experience some real damage. If you pick up something hot, the pain that you feel makes you drop the thing. What if you didn't drop? What if you couldn't feel the pain? You'd continue to hold on to it, and you'd get some deep burns. You'd get some real tissue damage. There are some people who have some um, conditions in this world who can't feel pain, and they end up getting hurt really badly. So this isn't just about physical pain either. When you make bad decisions in your personal life, you're going to feel some pain. Amen. Yeah. And hopefully, the pain that you feel from those bad decisions will help you make better decisions. If we learn from the pain, then we stop doing what we're doing and we don't destroy the good things in our lives. Now, here's something that the culture around us will not tell us. Sin is destructive. Sin is always, always destructive in the end. You might get away with it for a little while, but it will bite you eventually. You see, when God's Word tells us to stay away from certain behaviors, it's not God power tripping. His commands are not chains to hold us back from something good. It's guardrails so we don't fly off the cliff. He, he loves us and He does not want us to destroy ourselves. But sin will destroy us. And this has something to do with it. The Apostle Paul talks about people who are past feeling, which means they're desensitized to sin and the pain that sin causes. And instead of stopping, they keep on going with the sin, and the end of it is destruction. Now, okay, this can happen to anybody. Let's try to put it into context here. Suppose you got a kid who lies to his parents. That's bad. You shouldn't lie to your parents. Hear that, my children here in the room? You shouldn't lie to your parents. You should not. But let's just say this kid, he's good at it. That's a bad thing to be good at. I've known people who are good at lying. That's a bad thing to be good at. Say he's good at it, and he tells a lie, and he gets away with it. And it bothered his conscience a little bit when he lied to his mama. But it kind of worked out, right? So next time he found himself in a tight spot, what did he do? He lied again. Did it bother his conscience as much the second time? Not as much. After all, got away with it, it seems. And he develops this pattern of any time he gets in a tough spot, he's just dishonest enough to get away with it. And over time, he doesn't really feel it anymore. His conscience is not pricked anymore. But you know how it is. When you start telling lies, what's eventually going to happen? It's going to catch up. And it, it catches up. And what happens when this kid's mom finds out he's been lying to her for all this time? It's going to damage that relationship big time. It might take years 
to get it back where it's supposed to be. How did this happen? Because he was desensitized. That's how sin works. The more you make choices that are against God's will, the more you are desensitized to the pain it causes and the more you set yourself up for real damage. Hey, a person who embezzles money doesn't steal a million dollars day one. They take a little bit telling themselves they'll put it back. And each time it gets a little easier to take a little more. And pretty soon they work their way up to something that is going to blow up. It always blows up in the end. I've seen it happen. People do not start out in the depths of a pornography addiction. They start out with something real small. And they get desensitized to that. And then it goes, it ratchets itself up and up and up and up and desensitizes more and more until it pulls them into darkness. People don't start out cheating on their spouse. It starts out with something small. And it builds over time as they become desensitized to the destructive power of their choices. With hard drugs, it only takes a little bit at first to get somebody high. But over time... It takes more and more. Why? Because you build up a tolerance. You're desensitized to it a little more and a little more. And eventually, it takes so much more and so much more, and the consequences of it get so much bigger until it consumes a person's life. See, sin is like that, y'all. At first, it only takes a little bit of sin to bother your conscience and make you stop or hold back from what going any further. But each time it gets a little easier so that next time it, you can go a little further with it before your conscience kind of pulls you back. And eventually it's so desensitized that it doesn't hold you back at all and destruction's on the way. That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says these people are past feeling. Their conscience can't feel it anymore. It doesn't hold them back anymore. And destruction is on the way. Sin always destroys good things in the end. You can play with fire for a while, but you always get burned in the end. I remember being a kid and we'd have like a campfire or something or bonfire. And, and mom and dad said, don't you don't play in that fire, boy. Now, what they actually told me at first was maybe somebody else grew up country said, well, if you if you play in the fire, you'll pee the bed. Did anyone else hear that? Am I the only one who was slightly warped as a child? I see at least one person nodding. So I would always play in the fire, and it would like lay down at night. It's like, oh, oh, heck. Oh, Lord, please, please let it not be true. And I was worried that I was going to wake up in a puddle. Never happened. What was that? Never happened, not one time. But here's what did happen. I remember that I was told not to play in the fire, not to play in the fire. And um, I whacked the fire with a stick. Okay, and something flew up and like got me. I got like a place I can't grow hair. I actually have several of those. I'm not sure what's up with my DNA there. That's, but there was like, I got like a place. I can't remember which side of my face on. I can't grow hair. All right, because I burnt my dumb self because I played in the fire. Look, sin's like that. You can play with that fire a lot, but you're going to get burned. It's going to happen. We live in a culture that pushes us to like go right up to the edge, right? And then when we fall over the edge, mocks us for falling over it. 
The Apostle Paul is reminding us we can't be like the culture around us. We can't be like the world around us. If we can choose sin without it bothering our conscience, that's a terrible thing. It should bother your conscience. It, it puts you on a path to destruction. Every time you choose something that's outside of God's will for you, it should break your heart a little bit and make you want to come back and, and make it right if it doesn't. Listen, folks, I'm telling you right now, if you can choose to do wrong and it doesn't bother your conscience, one of two things is true. One, better make sure you actually know the Lord. And I don't mean that in any ugly way, but I'm being serious. You want to make sure that, hey, make sure I know the Lord because it should prick your conscience. Or possibly, number two, that you do know the Lord, but you've let your, you've let your feelings, your sensitivity to sin kind of get calloused. And that's got to be fixed too. You have been called to something so much bigger. You are not who you used to be. Don't, don't be that person. That's not you. That's not you anymore. Maybe it was. Maybe it used to be you, but it's not you anymore. Don't let yourself get desensitized to sin. Okay, the next part of this verse, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. Lewdness is not a word that we use a lot. In some translations, it says lasciviousness, and that's probably not one that's going to come up in conversation either. But it, it means to be controlled by excessive desire. It comes as a result of our conscience being dulled. Most of the time this gets applied to sexual lust, but it can apply to anything that controls a person like that. We live in a culture that preaches indulgence in desires, that downplays appropriate boundaries, downplays limits. We have whole industries that are based on the exploitation of people, of the objectification of people. That's not another that's a word we don't use much either, but it's like instead of seeing a person as a person, you look at them as an object. And it's a lot easier when you've objectified somebody, it's a lot easier to experience lust or, or some sort of other form of disrespect or, or disrespect of boundaries. We have a whole society where children are exploited and it's perpetrated all the way to the top. I mean, recently we saw a list come out of very famous and powerful people who were part of this huge child exploitation and it's like not got that much airplay, which tells you something, that there's more people involved than you know, and it goes all the way to the very top, and very powerful people in our culture are happy enough to exploit children, to objectify children. And that makes us sick, and that grosses us out, and we think, how can anyone possibly do that? But this can be just as real with us in our lives right here and right now. In homes, in workplaces, even in church environments, if we are not careful, we will not respect appropriate boundaries. There can be inappropriate comments, objectifying jokes, unwelcome touching, a lot more. These are things that Jesus followers just don't do. We're not going to do that. We, can be, we cannot be like the lost world around us. God never looks, I love this about our God. You know, there's like getting close to 8 billion people on this planet. And you're one of them. But he does not see you as a number. We would look at an anthill and we would see a bunch of ants. We would not understand them to be a bunch of individuals. We'd just say, oh, there's a bunch of ants. God is so much further above us than we are above the ants. 
And yet He looks at us and He sees each individual heart and He knows every single moment. God would never objectify you. You should never objectify others. That's the old life. You're not who you used to be. The world is disrespectful. The world does not respect appropriate boundaries. But we ain't going to be like that. We're going to be different. All right, we got another phrase here. Being past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness. To work all uncleanness. In the Bible, uncleanness is hardly ever used in a literal sense to refer to something that's like got dirt on it or grime on it. It always refers to a spiritual state, at least all the ones that I'm familiar with. In the Old Testament, an unclean person was somebody who had not gone through the cleansing that was required to go into the temple. And people who refused to take the time to get before God and cleanse themselves couldn't participate. So I do want to make it clear. You are not made clean today by some kind of ritual. That's not how this works. Today, when a person calls on Jesus for salvation, they are made clean. And there is a sense in which you can never be unclean again. You can never get unsaved. I realize there are people who love God who see that point a little differently, and I'd love to have those conversations to say why I believe that you cannot undo salvation. Love to have that conversation. But here is the thing. You cannot undo salvation. But you can do things that put distance between you and God. You can, you can make a mess of your life that you've got to come and make right. It's just, I mean, um, if you walk through the mud in your brand new shoes, do your shoes disappear? No. Not unless you're in like a deep mud hole and they like pop off but normally you just walk through like a normal mud puddle you get your shoes muddy your shoes don't disappear but what do you got to do with those shoes got to clean them up when a saved person sins it does not take salvation away but you got to stop and say god i i don't want to be like that that's not who i am anymore please forgive me and make things right between you and god See, before we know Jesus is a Savior, I mean, we're in that unclean state. We're in, it's like born in a mud puddle, all right? You're born standing in the mud, spiritually speaking. But we can't stay there. Jesus makes us new. Jesus makes us clean. But even true believers can end up in the mud if they're not careful. Remember the story of the prodigal son? I love that so much. At what point did he stop being the son of the father? Never. He was always his father's son. At what point did the father write him off and say, this is not my son anymore? Never happened. Yet this young man got so far away from his father. He made such a wreck of his life that he found himself in the hog pen, looking at the hog slop, thinking that might be all right to eat. It's pretty gross. But that's where he had gotten himself. And when he came to his senses and he ran back to his father, did his father treat him as a hired servant? Did his father treat him as second class? Did his father say, okay, you can come back, but you're not my son. You just have to be a servant. Did the father do that? The father cleaned him up. The father put new robes on him. The father put a ring on him. The father threw a party. 
if you're a Christian person, if you have been saved, you'll probably, you probably think you'll never end up in the hog pen. I don't want to break your heart or anything. But you're going to end up in the mud sometimes. If you're following Jesus with all your heart, and you're really even, you're trying, and you're, you're still going to have some times where you step in that mud hole, you do something, you say something that should not have been done, or you neglect to do or say something, and you end up in that mud hole. And you, you, may, you know, sometimes it's something very minor. Sometimes it's a way of losing your temper in a way that is, does not honor God. It's not wrong to be angry, but what you do next is real important. You better be angry over the right things and do the right things with it. And sometimes I'm guilty of that, of, of not doing it the right way. You might, you'll have days where you're going to look around and see that you're in the mud. When you've been harsh or unfair or cruel or bitter or unforgiving. When you have not had love or compassion. When you've been dishonest. When you've been unfaithful. When you've filled your eyes or your mind with unwholesome things. When you've used your body in a sinful way. These things are going to happen. We want to avoid them all we can. But you're going to have moments where you look around. And I'll be doggone if you're not in the mud hole. So what next? What next? Get out. That's not who you are. You're not who you used to be. You might end up in the mud with the pigs, but you're not a pig. You're a child. Look, if you let yourself be influenced by the ways of the world, you're probably going to end up there a little faster, but that doesn't mean God has not given up on you. God has given up on you. If there's uncleanness, if you look around and say, whoa, wait a minute. This is not who I'm supposed to be. Stop right there and seek the Father. And watch what he'll do. He'll clean you up. He'll put a new robe on you. He'll put a ring on you. He'll, he'll throw a party. And that's who he is. It's, about, it's not who we are that's so important. It's who he is. His love and his goodness. When you trust in Jesus, you are not who you used to be. And you don't have to stay in the mud. One more here. The end talks about greediness. Okay, that one almost seems not to fit because in our culture... Greed is like such a big part of everything that our culture is very much based on I'm going to get all that I can before somebody else gets it. Greed is bigger than just money. It's even bigger than stuff. It's an unhealthy focus on self. And it's an inability to see the needs of others. Look, our culture is so interesting. Our culture tells us a lot of our, that if we're feeling down in our problems, we're having problems, what we really need to do is, is just stop and focus on ourselves and give, you know, treat ourselves and focus on our needs. As you look around our nation and our world, do you really think the problem with society is that people aren't self-centered enough? Am I missing something? It's like, oh, that's exactly what it is. We're not self-centered enough. Come on. Look, I know the world is hard. The economy is a little iffy. Inflation is absolutely ridiculous. When the world feels unstable, it is our nature to turn inward. We assume that we better get all we can before somebody else gets it first. 
And from an earthly perspective, that makes sense. That's the way of the world. Get all you can. But it forgets an important truth. If you belong to the Lord. And the truth is this. You don't have to grab it. You don't have to take it. You don't have to hoard it. Because you have a heavenly father who will provide. You don't have to be selfish. You don't have to be greedy. Your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you even ask it. He's just waiting for you to ask. We don't have to be greedy or self-centered. We don't have to seize things. We don't have to hoard things. That's the way the lost world. But that's not us. You're not who you used to be. Self-centered living is something we leave behind. The old man has no place in the new life. But boy, the old man sure seems to show up, doesn't he? How about one more story? Somebody said they like my stories. I don't know. Like it or not, you're about to get one. And the star of the story is you. Okay, this is a story about you. I want you to imagine that you have an old friend that showed up at your doorstep. You had not seen this friend in a long time. And you say, hey, man, how are you? How are you doing? And they say, well, uh, I've got, it's, life's been hard lately. I, I don't have a place to stay. Can I crash with you just, just like a few days? And uh, you hesitate because you remember this person. And you used to hang out with them a lot back before you started making better decisions. And uh, you remember this old friend could be a lot of fun sometimes, but they usually left a big mess behind wherever they went. So, but they sound really sincere, like, oh, my goodness, they don't have a place to stay. It's just temporary, right? So you say, yeah, man, you can, you can crash on my couch. <coughs> so that night, the t- you and your friend, um, you stay up way late laughing about the old days and all the fun stuff you all used to do, and it seems like they haven't changed much. And... Uh, you stay up so late that when you get up for work in the morning, you're really tired, but you know how it is. You got to go on to work. So you go out the door and you kind of tiptoe through the living room because your friend is sleeping on the couch and you don't want to wake him up. You work all day. You drag back home. And when you go inside, you don't see your friend. But you see the mess they left. Man, there's soda cans everywhere. There's half-eaten plates of food it's almost like you got a bunch of teenagers in your house or something completely i don't know where why that popped in my head is unrelated just they have left a mess and that is definitely a ketchup stain on your favorite chair so you're just gathering it all up you're starting to clean it you're starting to scrub the ketchup out of your chair and you hear something upstairs and you're like wait a minute did i leave the tv on or something and you go upstairs to investigate and there's your friend in your room They're in your bed, looking all comfy. And they are snuggled up, watching Jerry Springer, eating. They're finishing off a box of some of those Nature Valley granola bars. You know which one I'm talking about? The ones that just explode when you bite them. And there's crumbs all in your bed, and you can just feel it, and your skin is crawling. And that's, oh my gosh, I'll never get the crumbs out of my bed. And you just cringe. And your friend says, hey, you're home, and rips into a bag of mesquite barbecue chips. I hope you don't mind, buddy. The couch, oh, the couch was making my sciatica flare up, and I knew you wouldn't mind. You're a great pal, so I just, I'd lay down in your bed. I hope you're, you're cool with that. And you just, you just glare at him. 
as they wipe their chip grease fingers onto your white Egyptian cotton sheets that you paid so much for. They don't seem bothered at all. They smile at you and say, hey, buddy, could you order us a pizza? You know how I like it. And uh, I don't have any cash on me right now, but we're, we're good friends. So can you just spot me? Now, you remember, you recall now that this particular person never seemed to pay their own way back in the day. Truth be told, they probably owe you tens of thousands of dollars for money you spent on them or money they talked you into spending on stupid things. But you're like, ah, he's here. Okay, it's just one more day. He's gone. He's gone tomorrow. And you order the pizza. Anchovies and olives. That's the kind of pizza they like. You don't like it, so you don't eat any of the pizza. You stay up late again, watching shows that you've watched so many times, and uh, just in the morning, you're just dragging. Your back's hurting because, of course, you slept on the couch last night. You go off to work, and you're just telling yourself, okay, okay, that was it. They'll be gone before I get home. And you're dreading the mess you're going to have to clean up because you know they're going to leave you a mess. So you work all day dreading what you've got to do you pull up in your driveway you roll out of the car you put your key in the lock and it it doesn't turn that's weird you pull the key out you look at the key i don't know why we always do that we look at the key i got the right key yes the right key put it in try it It just doesn't work she's like what in the world something's wrong with this so then you try the back door you try the basement door because you are a smart person and had the foresight to key all those locks alike because you're so smart. But none of your keys are working. You're like, what the heck's going on? Why my keys aren't working? And you just kind of like, you're leaning up against the side of the house, just kind of uh, kind of knocking on the side of the house. And that's when you hear a window slide open above you. And you look up and a face is looking down at you. And whose face is it? Your friend. And your friend's saying, hey, uh, I see you're home, but uh, about that, I, th- I think I'm going to just stay. You seem like a very clever person. I'm sure you'll find other accommodations. Um, so I did change the locks today. Hope that's cool. Sure you understand. Best of luck finding another place. Now, how do you feel? I'm going to put on my Dr. Phil hat. How does that make you feel? Are you mad? This person who has taken over your house, that situation would make you angry. You would not put up for that, put up with that. So why do it spiritually? Why let the old person move in? That's not who you are. You're not like that anymore. The old person creeps in and takes over. And behind it all is the devil who just wants to pull down, pull you down when you've got Jesus. Before you know Jesus, the devil does not have to pick on you very much because he's calling the shots anyway. But as soon as you try to live for God, the devil's going to try to trip you up. So you're going to say, why is life so hard, Pastor? I'm trying to live for Jesus. Well, me too, and that's why life is hard. There's your encouragement for the day. But it's better. Look, the devil doesn't have to bother you when you're on his team. When you're trying to live for Jesus, you're trying to make a difference with your life, the devil's going to try to trip you up. 
And we cannot let that happen. We cannot let the devil drag us back. We cannot let the old life move into the new life because that's not who we are. And there's so much riding on it. There's people in your life who you are the person who will influence them for Jesus. There's people who you are their gospel, okay? Because maybe you're the only person in that workplace who knows the Lord or maybe the only one who takes it seriously. And look what we're trying to build here. We're trying to build something here that is different. We're called to be a church that loves people who've been through a lot, who have reasons to be skeptical about church because they've had negative experiences. We are called to be the church that helps these folks fall in love with the family of God again. So we cannot be who we used to be. So here's my challenge to you. If you have never trusted in Jesus and received that new life, man, why are you waiting? Become that new person. Have that new life. And if you have, if you can say, hey, I do know the Lord. Don't let the old come back in. That's not who you are. You're a child of the king. It's, start, it's time to start living like a prince or a princess. Because you're not who you used to be. You're not who you're going to be just yet. But you're not who you used to be. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for every person listening to this message right now if they've never trusted in Jesus, that you would start working in their heart in such a way. Lord, I, you know that I mean this kindly, but I pray that you'll make folks very uncomfortable to the point where they start looking for answers in you. Almighty God, I pray that you'll reveal yourself as salvation, that people will see Jesus for who he is and choose him and live for him and, and become something new. And I want to pray for all the Jesus people who are here in this. That we would live a very different life. Not because we look at ourselves as superior, but just because we're not who we used to be. God, I pray we'll live the kind of lives that, that show people that you're real. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are not who you used to be. So don't be that guy anymore. God bless you all. I hope you have a great, blessed week. And uh, stay warm, and we'll see you next time.